Hi, welcome to the Back to Biz School podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sier, and this is episode one, our first full episode. I'll be sharing upcoming NUS MBA student club events for the next seven days, followed by part one of my interview with fellow NUS MBA candidate, Lim Turn Po. Let's jump right in. The Finance Club and Healthcare Club are very excited to share their upcoming joint event titled FinHealth, Investing in the Future of Healthcare. This event will feature four experienced healthcare finance speakers sharing their insights and expertise as the panelists. Attendees can expect to learn from the pros that have made significant impact in the field. Attendees will also discover potential career paths and opportunities in healthcare finance. The event is happening this Saturday, 11th November, 2 to 3.30 p.m. at MRB Biz Building 0202. I've also been personally tasked to remind everyone, refreshments will be provided, so don't miss out. Also on the 11th of November, we have another collaborative event from our CSE Club and Sandbox Club, the annual Deepavali event, Festival of Lights, held at MRB Biz Building Level 1. Happening from 6 to 10 p.m., dress up in your kurtas and salwa suits and join us with your loved ones to celebrate the Indian Festival of Lights. A fun evening with your family and friends involving dance, games, stories and delicious food and drinks. Shake a leg on the dance floor or play games to stand a chance to win prizes. On a personal note, I'll be going, so I hope to see you there. And those are the events in just the next seven days. It's been a very enriching time here at the NUS MBA program. For now, let's move on to the main event of this episode, part one of the Lim Turn Po interview. Please enjoy. As again, I'm your host, Brian Sier, and I have with me today, esteemed guest, very uh, accomplished person in the AI field, Turn Po himself. Hi, Turn Po. Hey, hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks for coming, man. Thanks for volunteering as tribute for the first, uh, for the first guest on my podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself. So, um, the way I would describe myself is I come from a multidisciplinary background. I did my um, diploma and advanced diploma in biomedical science. I went to do a finance bachelor's degree as my undergrad. I also did a master of computing in. Uh, 2020, which I graduated in 2022. So right now I'm doing my MBA at both uh, Peking University at NUS. So I come from a multidisciplinary background. And I think it's the same for my career as well. Uh, when I first graduated, I was a training trader, uh, doing palm oil trading. Um, after that, my second career, I was a procurement manager at Procter Gamble, uh, helping uh, companies to source for uh, products and services. And I think later on, right, uh, what inspired me to actually go into the AI field, uh, as you introduced me at the start, is that um, I think as a procurement manager, I was in a very fortunate position where a lot of the vendors uh, see me as the god of fortune. <laughs> so I'm the one who, who actually approved the budget for them to actually procure their, their service and products. So I think it was during my time at Procter & Gamble, I had this unique opportunities where a lot of the vendors they come to me and pitch to me about the, the, the next big technology, which is AI. And that was around 2017, 2018, at the point of time when uh, before the whole AI takes off. So I was in a very fortunate position. They managed to convince me not to buy their product, 
but to become an AI practitioner. <laughs> so in 2018, I, I left my role at, uh, at Procter & Gamble as a manager. I restarted my career uh, as an AI apprentice through the IMDA TESA program, where it is a mid-career uh, transition program that the government have put in place. So I restarted my career at AI Singapore, uh, undergo training program. And once I'm done, I like it there. I like the culture there. And I like what I'm doing. And I stayed on as an AI engineer. Um, so I was an AI engineer for one year. And subsequently, I got promoted every year. The last role, the last role that I had at AI Singapore, I was an associate director. So it's pretty amazing that I restarted my career as a senior AI apprentice. Uh, and within like a few years, I rose up to become an associate director again. Yeah. So I think the, the multidisciplinary background really helped me a lot. The organization that you, you went to was AI, AI Singapore. Yeah, uh, AI Singapore. Then the program is called AI Apprenticeship Program or AIAP. Yes, and that's what you did in 2018, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, but before that, you were already... Um, so you're yeah, going back to that big jump, right? From your nice cushy job at Procter & Gamble, uh, being the, the, the buyer, buying manager, and then suddenly just shifting to AI to AI, being an apprentice there, was how difficult was that decision? Like, wh- how, how, how do you mitigate any risk factors for, for that decision? Yeah, so um, uh, it was an easy move to qualify for the AI Apprenticeship Program or the AIAP under AI Singapore. I have to go through a technical assessment. So that means, right, even before I enter the program, I have to be proficient uh, in AI already. So the, the program is supposed to help us to deep skill uh, instead of just teach us AI. So as you know, my background was in finance. I was never in um, engineering role and I, I struggled quite a bit. And I, I think what pushed me is really the, the, the motivations and the goals and the belief that you know, AI is going to next big thing. So most evenings and weekends, I spend my time watching online videos like taking Udacity courses, uh, Coursera courses uh, to learn how to code. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I made sure passed the interview and got on the program. Otherwise, I don't think I'll be where I am today. Yeah, I think it's the, it's the drive that really helped me a lot. Yeah. And of course, right, when I told my, my colleagues that I'm going to resign my role at Protein Gamble as a manager and going to take a significant pay cut, restart my career as an apprentice, uh, most of my colleagues find it unbelievable. Like most people will just stay at PNG uh, for at least five to ten years or more than that. Uh, uh, but but I, I made the choice to restart my career. Uh, yeah. So it's reason it wasn't a, a very easy, comfortable decision because like everyone you talk to, they sort of discourage you from doing so. Like stay with the safe choice, right? Like that's what people do. Um, but. I mean, it paid dividends, right? Especially with AI uh, really bursting on the scene. I think I think we already knew about AI, uh, we really know its capabilities, but I think it hit the critical mass when ChatGPT was introduced late 2022, if I'm not wrong, where suddenly everyone could go in and then there was the AI art as well with DALI. How disruptive is AI going to be to our daily lives as, as, as working professionals, right? Is it like, for example, the we talk about electricity rev- revolutionizing 
the modern society, the industrial revolu- revolution, the internet. Is AI the next big thing and how? Yeah, I think what makes AI so, um, uh, so transformative and so disruptive is that not in the past, right, um, when we want to design any smart software, uh, we have to code the logic. You have to write the logics out. Let's say, for example, if this happens, then do another thing. So we are limited in terms of the, the complexity of the logics that we can write into uh, software applications. But how AI changed the whole paradigm is that AI learns the logic based on the data and the answers you give it. So let's say, for example, uh, as, long as, as long as I have a data set of customers uh, who bought things from me previously, I um, might not know why they buy things from me or I, I will never know reasons. Right? But if I have sufficient of such data, when I pump it into the AI, the AI can sort of decipher some sort of logic by itself, why certain customers will buy certain things at a certain period of time. And with these insights, right, that can help me to build, let's say, an uh, engine that can push products to the customers uh, at the right time. So that actually changed the entire paradigm uh, instead of being limited by our own logics. Right? right now, we are limited by the availability of data to actually get to, um, to, to the next stage of the, the, the industrial revolutions. Right? And I think one more thing also worth mentioning is that in the past, most of the technologies that we introduced serve to um, uh, affect, I would say affect, not displace, but affect our blue-collar worker. Like we have robots, we have smart manufacturing. Right? So all these technologies are deployed mostly in the manufacturing floors. So the most affected are the blue-collar workers. Right? And right now with AI, you're seeing AI doing a lot of other things like automated marketing, etc. So you start to see technologies affecting white-collar workers. And I think that's why people are getting more concerned as well. Like <laughs> the white collar workers are getting uh, uh, affected by AI. And that's, that, that causes a lot of debates around you know, uh, what's the impact and how will it uh, change the future of work. Yeah, yeah. So actually, uh, that was, uh, was just leading to my next question, right? Because I would say I follow a few YouTubers and they're like, they used to teach coding <laughs> on, 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 on YouTube, but they're like, you don't need me anymore. There's, they have an existential crisis where they feel so irrelevant, right? So the question I have for you is, what can the average working professional do right now or in the next you know, six months to a year to fully utilize AI to their advantage? Like, how much can you do? I mean, apart from going for the very good AI AP program that you went for, uh, what, what can they do to, to, to really utilize AI to their advantage? In future, right, um, those who don't use AI will be replaced by those who use AI. And when I mean those, right, I mean you can fill in that with any professions, be it lawyers, software programmers, uh, marketers, right. So in each and every prof- uh, um, industry and uh, uh, profession, right, if you are not able to know how to use AI tools to improve your productivity and to do more to create more insights out of the, the data that you have, right? uh, you'll be replaced by those who are able to use AI tools to do so. And so I think it's very important for professionals to really upskill themselves. Right? Uh, and you start to see jobs um, descriptions or job requirements right? 
posted on LinkedIn uh, asking their candidates to know how to use ChatGPT as one of the prerequisites before can apply for the jobs. Right? And these are the more forward-looking companies, but of course, not every company is like this. Uh, but slowly, you'll see that more and more jobs requirement will require the job applicants to know AI tools. It will be as important as knowing how to use Microsoft Excel, Microsoft Word, and Microsoft PowerPoint. Yeah, and you don't need, I think for, for most professionals, they don't need to learn how to code. Uh, I think this is the, the biggest misconception that I'm seeing right now. Um, people thought that to know AI, I have to be good in math and I have to know how to code. But that's not really the case because um, for most working professionals, right, they're using AI to augment whatever they are doing right now. And that means they don't need to know how to code. They just need to know, in, in general, how does AI work and what kind of tools to use in their own industry. And that should be sufficient. Okay, so l- let's say I'm a, no, not say, let's say I am a working professional. What courses can I go for or certifications I can do? Is it, can I do it purely online or do I have to go down to do night classes? And yeah, what, what's the next step? Like obviously the, I've seen on LinkedIn chat G- GPT courses and how legitimate legitimate are those? So yeah, what, what's, what, what should the next steps for me be? Now that you sold me on upscaling myself. Mm. Uh, if you ask me, right, I think there are three big areas that uh, any working professionals should consider. The first level that everyone should go, uh, I, I can speak on behalf of AI Singapore, because AI Singapore has a lot of great free courses, such as AI for Everyone. So AI for Everyone is a free courses, online courses. Uh, even uh, in other uh, well-known uh, uh, platforms like Coursera and the rest, if you Google things like AI for everyone, I think this will appear. Um, this is the foundational knowledge I think everybody should have. And, and why do I say so? Uh, AI is not a magic black box where you, you just throw anything inside and you expect to get an answer out of it, right? And there are also bigger implications around AI, such as ethics uh, and uh, the potential implications of using AI in certain uh, sensitive areas like healthcare, recruitment uh, or even like job interviews, right? So imagine getting rejected by AI. It's going to be a big hit to people who might not understand. Uh, and in certain countries, right, it's illegal to do so, right? So I think the, the, the first foundation layer is for people to have a rough understanding in terms of the principles of AI. And the key message is, right, <laughs> if you throw in rubbish data, you get rubbish results. I think this is the first level. The second level will be, I think, to upskill further, right, is to go to uh, an, uh, any platform like Coursera and the rest, right? Let's say if you are a marketer, you can look for uh, uh, AI for marketing. And the, the second layer that I will see the, it as, right, is uh, such courses will open up your eyes uh, and your mind to what are the possibilities of AI in your current profession and in your industry. Because I think a lot of times, right, um, when you talk to people about AI, right, they cannot imagine what sort of applications the AI can be used for uh, in that industry. And I, I think um, that kind of causes will be very, very helpful. Let's say, for example, for digital marketing, I get to know that I can use AI actually do content writing, uh, can do SEO, uh, search engine optimization from a website by putting keywords, right? That would be amazing. So that would be a second layer uh, of causes that I recommend people. And the thing, the third layer would be, of course, right, 
becoming proficient in the AI tools specific to the industry. So I think uh, as we go forward, right, uh, each industry will have their own AI-specific applications designed for the professions. Let's say uh, you won't expect, uh, let's say, a marketer to use ChatGPT. Um, uh, going forward, perhaps there'll be a more uh, targeted uh, marketing platform that uses maybe ChatGPT as the underlying engine, but on the application side at the UI UX, it'll be more targeted towards digital marketer. So let's say, for example, I'll imagine that you can just copy and paste your website into the applications. These applications can find a diagnostic of a website and based on it, it can give you suggestions on how to improve it based on the content that you have on your website or the keywords uh, to do some SEO. So I think these are the three layers of uh, AI proficiency that each and every one of us should have, right? Starting from the basic, what is AI? To what can AI be used for in my industry? To how do I execute it? Okay, very, very interesting. Very interesting. I'm going to go for this uh, because uh, we, we're having our MBA break soon. Uh, so in case you, uh, the listeners don't know, both of us are current students of the NUS MBA. So uh, during the, maybe during the December break, I'll go for, at the very least, uh, AI for everyone, right? Now, now that you sold me, I don't know if you, is it you sold me on it or you scared me into it? <laughs> it's like, you know, follow or die kind of situation. So, so yeah. So, I mean, since we're on the topic of industries, right, I, I have one question for you because I saw you, you did a project with a renal team for your AIAP where you were using AI to identify high-risk kidney dialysis patients. So, in your opinion, right, I have two questions in your, for, with regards to this. In your opinion, which industries, which industry, sorry, you think has the most potential to exploit AI? And the second one is which industry has barely scratched the surface regarding AI? I think this is a, a very interesting question, right? Um, the way I look at it is this, right? Uh, uh, AI applications, right, has this very long, long tail that is very high on the left. Uh, on the left, imagine you plot a graph, right? On the uh, y-axis is the feasibility, uh, and on the x-axis right is the, the the potential value. So let's say for example, right now, what we are seeing is that a lot of the AI applications right are used by Google, Netflix, YouTube. So these are applications where are uh, low risk, and um and it can be when you create a single AI model, it can be served across different uh use cases and different industry. So I say, for example, you're doing advertisements. So Google Ads is, uh, is one good example. Once you develop an AI model for Google Ads, right, you can use it in multiple countries because it's the same, right? In a way that how you want to target consumers. Um, same for Netflix as well, or even YouTube. The way they recommend uh, videos or music to people, they are very low risk. So they are very, very little uh, regulations involved. And um, you can actually scale it up very fast, right? So that is the uh, on one side of the uh, value versus feasibility. But as you move down the value chain, right, uh, things can be a lot more difficult. Uh, I can give you very specific examples, right? So let's say right now I'm running a factory. I want to use AI to detect scratches on my uh, on my casing. So let's say for example, I can be doing a manufacturing on casing, and I want to detect whether there's any scratches on it before I ship out to the customers. Otherwise, they'll return back to me, right? I incur unnecessary costs. So I want to detect scratches before I ship out my products to the end consumers. But the problem is that 
because right, uh, let's say for every product line, it has a one year life cycle, right? And the way that uh, the, the different materials and the design of each product, uh, the, the way that it is prone to scratches will be in different areas and the characteristics of the scratch might be different. So that means, right, if I invest money in developing AI model for a particular product line, it can detect the scratches very well for this particular product. Let's say next year, due to some change in the consumer behavior or preference, um, the entire product line is great. I have to change a new product line. And does, if I were to reuse the same AI model that I developed previously for the new product, the performance level won't be as good as previously. And I have to spend some time in you know, doing some model retraining again and again. So I think that is the complexity. Right? So as you move down uh, that, that, that value chain, right, um, you can start to see a lot of very specific use cases uh, that can generate very high value, but requires uh, a lot more uh, industry knowledge and frequent uh, model rebuilding. And I think that's the challenge, right? Like how can we make uh, AI model more accessible? And that, of course, there's just one aspect of it, right? Another aspect is the regulations part. You mentioned earlier, what kind of industry will be most affected by AI? Um, like some industry right now, for example, healthcare, defense, uh, these are very sensitive areas. Uh, if you want to deploy AI in those, those use cases, uh, there'll be a lot more regulations to follow as well. Yeah, I, I think this will make the AI more difficult to be deployed in such um, scenarios. Okay, um, going back to the feasibility, right? So from what I'm hearing, can I conclude that having more, for lack of a better word, robust data will make the data, will make AI a lot easier to, to work on, right? Because the, it is the bedrock of AI, right? With, that's what you say, rubbish data, you get rubbish AI. So for example, having data on what is a scratch and all that, maybe it's very, very hard to define, but going back to like Netflix, oh, this show watch time is, you know, 90%. You know, people watch the whole episode and they watch the pre the following episodes. But what is a scratch is not. So would you say that data is the bedrock or is the is the most important thing with regards to feasibility? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Without data, AI wouldn't be possible. So um, maybe let me go a bit deeper since you asked this question. In addition to having AI, um, in addition to having data, the next important thing is that the data must be anonymated. Anonymated meaning that it must be uh, have a right uh, label or a right marking to it. Let's say for example, right? Um, if I just if I have hundred images of different scratches, um, I have collected. If I just pump it into the AI, right? Um, it wouldn't work as well. What people usually do is that they will have to engage people uh, or, or someone, uh, engineers or, or or anyone else, right, to draw something called bounding box. So meaning, right, they look at each and every images, then they will manually draw a rectangular box around that scratch to tell the AI that, okay, based on this image, okay, this is a scratch. And I want you to learn that this is a characteristics of the scratch, right? So I have to do this for multiple images before the AI can learn from it. So AI learn not just from data, but labeled data. And I think this is where it gets a bit uh, uh, tricky as well, right? Um, you know that for some of the AI models developed by big companies, 
they are facing some um, negative publicity. What happens is that they have collected a lot of data sets, right? You won't be expecting the AI engineers sitting in San Francisco to label each and every of the data manually. It's too expensive. So what they do, they outsource it. Right? So let's say they were outsourced to uh, a data labeling factory. It could be in Africa, in Vietnam, or in China. Right? Typically, the cost of labor is a lot lower. So then they will employ an army of humans right, to sit down in front of a computer. All they do every day is just to draw boxes after boxes in image right, to teach the AI how does a scratch looks like. Yeah, so they call it the, the modern day sweat factory where uh, people will actually sit down in front of computers and they get paid very little usually. That is only a few cents per uh, image being labeled. So this is one of the, the drawbacks that I think a lot of big companies are facing right now. Mm, okay, okay. And that was part one of the Turnpole interview. I hope you found it fruitful so far. The second half of this interview will be in the next episode. With that, the first official episode of this podcast has been concluded. Thank you for listening to the Back to Biz School podcast and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.